Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thanks for listening. Get it on iTunes, get it on Stitcher, or go to pulphockey.com. You get it on there. Download it. We're going to do it each and every week. Take your questions at Pulp Hockey on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Review it, listen to it, and, uh, yeah, thanks again. Uh, Ferraro20 is the code at 2UNDER, the number 2UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. Please check it out. And uh, a lot of NHLers wear it. Uh, R.A. Dickey, is the, it's the underwear of choice for R.A. Dickey, everybody. 2UNDER, uh, the number 2UNDR. Uh, once again, uh, uh, I'm Steve Mathis, with, with, with me on the line, 18-year NHLer, now at TSN, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? Uh, a little snow in Vancouver today. This is, uh, this is a rare event, which turns cars into toboggans and by four o'clock it'll all be gone and right but and that might be our winter but it's uh <laughs> i love it i grew up in the snow and sure i i love it It looked awesome this morning yeah as a as a guy who grew, born and raised in winnipeg i could do, i'm good i don't need to see it ever again i'm okay like <laughs> no that's a different level right right uh also on the line uh over 700 games in the nhl uh Selk trophy winner scored the winner at that rendezvous series remember that people uh and uh former nhl uh management member notre dame as well alum- alumni Dave Poulin, what's up, Dave? How are you? Everything's good, Steve. No snow yet in Toronto, so we're leaving it out to the West Coast right now. Yeah, yeah, that's good, right? Not too bad. Well, thanks for doing this, Dave. Appreciate it. Um, I guess right off the hop, Pooley, um, late 80s, uh, Mike Keenan's your coach. You're on the Philadelphia Flyers, of course. Did they ever? Did Keenan ever pull you aside and say, hey, look, we've got this feisty center from the whale. He's, <laughs> he's on pace for a 41-goal season. you got to stop him. He was unstoppable. He wouldn't even give you <laughs> oh, <yeah. that> direction. <laughs> Keenan's just like, forget it. We, we can't game plan for him. We can't even stop you him. You know what? We had some great battles with the Whale through that time and that Brass Bonanza. I think, you know what? You'd be pretty close, Ray, to turning on the Brass Bonanza song more than anybody else did over that stretch of time. I'm sure you were responsible for that being a real hit. <laughs> you know what was cool about that song is, like, we were even sick of it. Like, they played it. When we came out for warm-up, they played it when we came out for the game. They played it when we scored goals. They, they played it when we came out for the period. And so one year, they tried changing it up when we scored, and the people went wild. They hated it. They wanted Brass Bonanza back. So everybody, it didn't even matter what the players thought. They're like, yeah, too bad. Everybody else likes it. But I will tell you this, Steve, when we would go into Philly, like they were – that was a little bit different time. Like when people talk about now, oh, a player goes to the tough areas of the ice. Right. I, I don't really know if it's quite the same. Like the tough area of the ice in Philadelphia was the entire building. <laughs> right, right. And they just announced the, their 50-year team. And Dave's line with Prop, Brian Prop and Timmy Kerr is on that team. And that line, for people that don't know, like, hey, Pooley, like you guys could – you could get Kerr in the slot, and you and Prop could cycle and buzz around. And that was was that as good a line as you played on? Yeah, no question. And we were together. The, the nicest part of that is we were together for the better part of five plus years, almost six years. So you got to know guys so well. And Prop and I killed penalties together. And of course, Timmy was a power play monster. But you just it doesn't seem like players have the recognition or get to play with guys as long as we got to play with each other to know each other that well. And that was so why really does that change? Her. Why do you think that I don't changed? Know. I don't know. It, it, but tell me a total set line in the NHL right now. And we were a set line. And so, you know, were Gilly's boss and Trache or, you know, there were set lines. And I'm a big fan of it. Now, coaches seem to work in pairs more often. But you have to factor in, too, Ray, that, you know, teams don't stay together like they stayed together either because of free agency and because of so many different factors in the salary cap, and teams are broken up much quicker. 
but you're hard-pressed to think of a line right now in the NHL. When you go up against teams, you knew what their lines were. You knew what you were going to see. You were going to see Mario and Kevin Stevens. You were just you were going to see lines, and you just don't anymore. And I, I, the, the wonder, familiarity you, of it was brilliant. Do you think at all that, um, as you were talking, I was thinking, so now, like, everything is so close and so packed together. It's like there's less patience to wait to to see if something can work. You know, like a, a coach will get something together and they go, okay, wait a minute, that's two games and that doesn't work and, it, you know, we got to try something else. And they, I think they might miss on something that will work because they don't feel they can be patient enough. I would agree. And the other factor I think that plays into it so much is how many voices are on those coaching staffs in that locker room and how much video they watch and how I I really think, and I watched a game recently and there were nine coaches or analytics guys or whatever on the bench before the game in the pregame warm-up for one team. And you have to see this, Ray. You're down between the boxes. There's nine guys with clipboards and paper, and they're watching the other team warm up, and I'm thinking, yeah, I didn't really learn too much ever from watching anybody warm up. And don't think you're going to learn something from watching me warm up. But do you think maybe it's because a guy that's number seven on that totem pole or number six on that totem pole has to think he's contributing, so he wants to try different line combinations, and he's always pushing the head coach? I don't know. It's – it's like guys have to contribute, so they're going to find a way to. And I'm one that thinks you can gain familiarity with a player. Like, I can still tell you to this day what Brian Propp and Tim Kerr's skates look like, skate blades look like, <laughs> wow, yeah, tape yeah. look like, so that when you were in a scrum in the corner, if I'm looking at the blade of Timmy's stick, I knew exactly how it was taped, what it was, so I could give that. Really, huh? Wow. Pop. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. But once again, the yep. familiarity, you were allowed that. Well, you know, as I'm thinking there, so when we played in Hartford around that same time, like there was nine or ten of us that played seven years together. Like you, you just knew, like all all the when somebody mm-hmm. changed, you're talking about the tape. When somebody changed during the shift, if like I never, I played mostly with Paul McDermott, and so right. when. Uh, on my right wing. So if he changed and Kevin Benin came on the ice, I knew Kevin used a white Titan and he taped uh, right from the heel all the way through to the end of the toe. And if there was a scrum, I could just look up and, you know, you'd see it in the scrum when all that chaos is going on and you, you just know it was him. Oh, I never thought of this. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess so. Now, right? Yeah. Now you say that, do you think guys today could tell you that? Today? I don't think they'd have a chance. I don't, I don't think they have, I don't, no, I'm not, I don't think, I'm not, I was a bit of a nerd about the game. Like I knew about our team and, you know, I just, I was into all that stuff and the schedule. I bet you guys don't even know the games next week. Like they couldn't tell you who their next five <laughs> right, games are. Right. Yeah. right. Um, the only way they would know it, I think, is if they're going on a road trip and they want to know if they're headed to a warm spot, they got to bring the appropriate clothing for the off day. Well, we only had one warm spot to head to, so we weren't too concerned. We knew where L.A. was on the schedule. Okay, what did you look for more, Fooley? Did you look for the Christmas break or the trip to L.A. first when your schedule came up? Uh, Trip to L.A. because you had no Christmas break. You could still skate on Christmas Eve. Um, There was no Christmas break, so you looked at that L.A. trip. But you talk about knowing that, and, you know, we had a pretty – as high profile as this and coaches got back then because he worked with Mike Keenan and EJ McGuire and EJ was just a wonderful, wonderful man and left us far too early, but he would put the standings handwritten up on the board every day, goals for goals against everything every day. He'd update it first thing in the morning and he'd tape a $10 bill up there. And if you found a mistake on the board, you got the 10 bucks. Oh. Well, guys used to pour over that. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, geez, did Ellie really have 73 goals for? And they'd be scouring the USA Today to try and find that out and see if they could steal that 10 bucks. So 
you know, they, that's how they were trying to force feed us what was happening in the league and what was going on at that point. Um, um, without question, we we just had a big uh, the Canucks uh, Leaf game on Saturday, and and of course uh, the first meeting kind of developed. Went into some chaos, and Gubranson was quoted as saying he's going to kill Matt Martin. Uh, Dave, do you, did, did Dave Brown and Ed Hospitar and, and Baruba, I mean, they would never say things like, I'm going to kill you on the ice, did they? <laughs> uh, boy, you know, we talked about this so much on, on uh, Leafs Lunch and Talk Radio through the week. Oh, jeez. They were asking me what it was like in the locker room, <laughs> you know, before a game like that. Well, first of all, that was every game, like the Flyers, whoever they were playing, somebody right. didn't like us from something we'd done. And, uh, you know, the guys always, but everything was kept in the locker room. It wasn't on social media. It wasn't out in the public. It was kept in the locker room. And that was a pretty good group of guys to be going into battle with on an everyday basis. Because the one thing I knew is I certainly didn't have to worry about where Branson was or Matt Martin was at that time. <laughs> yeah, it's, no. it's like you said, Ray, going into the spectrum, you're just like, oh, these guys, oh, Dave Brown. We, we used to joke because the, the locker rooms were above the ice, and you had to walk down this ramp um, for the visitors. Mm-hmm. You walk down towards where the Zamboni was, and you turn right. The Flyers would go down another hallway through their bench onto the ice. And we always used to joke about there was a couple guys on our team that were a little shy. And uh, we'd say, make sure you keep an eye on them that they don't dodge into one of the dressing rooms and not come all the way to the rink. <laughs> oh, I bet. Those are, because Philly yeah. was, I mean, just, you know, we were the mid-80s. In the mid-70s, like that place was a right. circus. <laughs> it, it, you know, like we would go up for warm-up just in our era, and Craig Berube and uh, Dave Brown, and you mentioned uh, Eddie Hodspadar. Yeah. Um, who am I missing? Uh, you had a couple well, of giant defensemen in the mix. He was young oh. and aggressive at the time, and and okay, you know, even a guy, a bunch of even a guy like the, you know, again of guys that passed way, way too early. Brad McCrimmon, like Brad, wasn't ever thought of in that same realm, but he was a guy that terrified me <laughs> because he wore his helmet down. Remember how low he'd wear that helmet, Pooley? Oh yeah. And and he never smiled or never any expression, and he always kind of looked through you. Like guys like that, they they made me uncomfortable. And the flyers, no qualms about about spearing you, like none whatsoever. <laughs> if you were on the way to where he was headed, that's your problem. Right, right. You've and got. I, yeah. And what ended up what would end up happening is the flyers were so tough, and and their reputation just preceded them everywhere that. Even guys that weren't necessarily tough became more so. Like, you would go in there, honestly, if you could get points out of there, it was, it was a crazy great feeling <laughs> to win in the spectrum. Like the that. roof was low, it was dark, and aside from being tough, those guys, like, your teams were really good. Like, what was the best team you played on there? Was it the one that went to the final? I think it probably was the 87 team that, that lost in seven. And I say that respectfully to Pelly Lindbergh because Ron Hexall had obviously taken over the net at that point and, you know, in an amazing con Smythe effort. But the 87 team had the experience of 85. Yeah. And, you know, we'd lost in, in five games heavens in that year. We also had the galvanizing of losing Pelly Lindbergh. And that really pulled that team to a whole different level of togetherness in the fall of 85. And so that 87 team talk, it was, you know, really coming into his own. Murray Craven was such a good player. Um, we were just a little bit deeper, a little bit better, and, and, and that much more confident that we could beat Edmonton through that when, time. When Patrick Waugh came in 86, um, you know, and they won the Stanley Cup in his rookie year. Um, you know, he was just such this of an unknown. Like, what would, where would you have said Pelly Lindbergh was in comparison to Patrick? Like, it, had Pelly had the career that everybody thought he was going to have before he died in a car accident? Like, what, what would, where was he on that realm? Because he was one of the best. Yeah, I think he was more talented. Um, you know, he was 26 years old. He was really just coming into his own as a goalie. And I think he could have been one of the best to ever play the game. He won the Vezina. 
Um, you know, he was he won games like you talk about how good those teams were. Well, if I go back to 84, 85, we were the youngest team in the NHL and we weren't that good. We got that good because of Pelly Lindbergh. He literally taught the team how to win. And we would win games one nothing and 2-1, and we'd think, yeah, we're pretty good. And somebody would say, well, you know, wait a second. <laughs> but we didn't care about that. And then we got better because of it. You know, you just went into every game knowing you could win. But that would have been a great goaltender matchup going through the next period of time. And obviously when Hextall came in, he was his 86-87 year was absolutely magnificent in that playoff run. And Hexy and I talked about it recently how that would have played out with him in the organization with Pelly Yeah, that's interesting. Because, yeah. yeah, you know, now he was in the organization in 85-86. Uh, so Lindbergh was killed in November of 85. And they chose to leave Hextall in the minors that year and not bring him up. And he won the Calder Trophy. They won the, uh, the Calder Cup that year in Hershey. And, you know, that experience, I think, was invaluable to him. But they, they made a conscious decision not to bring him up that year. But it would have been very interesting to see how that played out. And, you know, think of that, how that lives changed through circumstance mm-hmm. and how that would have played out had they both been, you know, with the same organization through that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, that's a great question. And, yeah, what, what could have been? Um, I want to touch on some more recent topics uh, with Dave Poulin from TSN and uh, Ray Ferraro from TSN. Um, I guess uh, a couple things. First up, the the big news this morning, uh, it's, a, it's a small bit player, but it's a backup goalie for the Leafs, which means I guess it's a big deal. Uh, Jonas Enroth was waived uh, the, this morning. It looks like I would think this opens the door to Kerry Rommel uh, or maybe maybe Garrett Sparks get called up. But uh, I guess first up, I guess I'll start with you, Dave. Um, you're in the Toronto market uh, every day. A little... A little. I mean, he wasn't playing that well, but it was a little bit of a surprise, I think. Well, the role of the backup goalie, you know, clearly they've decided Freddie Anderson was the guy. That was decided during the summer he was going to be the guy. So what is the role of the backup goalie who's maybe going to play 20 games during the course of the year? And it has to be that when he goes into a game, the team in the locker room feels they have a chance to win. And if that's not the case, you can't, in this day and age, concede 20 games or 25 games. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, only a coach knows what that feeling is in that locker room. And if he doesn't feel that the team believes the goaltender is giving them a chance to win, he would have pushed for that change. But once again, the way things operate now, they put a guy in waivers. That doesn't really mean anything. It gives them flexibility to send him down mm-hmm. should he clear waivers or it forces their hand if he's taken. Now, he's only on a one-year deal, and I don't think anybody needs a goalie right now like Ottawa did three weeks ago mm-hmm. with the Craig Anderson situation. Um, so if, you know, or, or L.A. did before you know, Budai came on and Zadkoff came back. I, I'm thinking off the top of my head, Ray, maybe you can help me here. I'm not sure if anybody needs a guy right now to step no, in. No, see, the, the team I thought of immediately, you know, at the start of the year that would be looking for a veteran guy would, would be San Jose, who has a uh, 27-year-old and Aaron Dell backing up Martin Jones. Uh, Dell never played in the NHL, except Dell's done a really good job in, in his limited starts. Like there, So there would be no need to to bring in... Uh, a goaltender like um, uh, like Enroth right now, and you're right. Sometimes the timing's just wrong. Um, you know, I I don't know Enroth at all, but I don't know that this was a great shake for him because um, you know you everybody gets their you know their you get your lot in life, and mm-hmm. that's you know that's where you are. But he started four times. They were all on back to back nights. The team didn't play particularly well um, in any of them, really. He. Yeah. He, he did a decent job in Minnesota, which was his first game. They, um, I think that was two-two, and it went. Uh, they lost in a shootout. Um, he played pretty well. I did that game. Um, you know, the Islander game was was a bit of a mess. Um, the other night in in Calgary, I mean, you know, he probably should have stopped the first one, but Kadri yeah. got beat twice on the first, on the same goal. Mm-hmm. Gardner yeah. took a took a snack break on the second one. And, you know, a minute into the game, it's 2 nothing. It doesn't matter what he does after that. 
And so now, see, I look at this, they wave him, and it makes me wonder, you know, Kerry Ramos been practicing with them a little bit, so maybe he's an option. But they also have Jeff Glass in the American League. Um, you know, Glass had played, for those that don't know, had played in the KHL for about six or seven years and was really good. He was a goalie. He was the goalie on Canada's mm-hmm. um, Super Gold Medal World Junior Team, and um, you know, with with Crosby and those guys in the in the mid two thousands. And I, I wonder if he's he's at all um, an option for them. But you're right. You can't just pitch away twenty starts. It's got yeah. you. Got to have a chance to win. Well, Glass has got to yeah. be mentally tough if he lasted six or seven years in the KHL. He's got to be. <laughs> he's got to have some intestinal fortitude. You know, but this chess game of putting a guy in waivers as well, they could feel in the league right now today this was the day to get him through. Because it doesn't mean they have to send him down now or make a decision now. Right. It just gives them flexibility and an option. So in their strategy, to your point, Ray, they may say, hey, look, you know, and, and no one is going to take him today. So let's get him through waivers. Then we can make decisions a few weeks from now or whatever that may be should we choose to do so. So how long do the waivers last? Um, like when he goes on waivers, Dave, so he'll clear by tomorrow at noon. Yeah. If they keep him, if they keep him, how long can they, how long does this one clarification of waivers last before they got to put him on again? Yeah, I should know this exactly. And I'm out of date just to touch. And it's a certain number of games. He can play a few games without, uh, and then, and then he would have to re-clear. He'd have to re-clear because I, so let's just assume, say he clears tomorrow. Yeah, he'll definitely clear, right? I mean, we all think Okay, so but let's just assume he's through. Then that leaves them with Glass and Roth, Bebo, Sparks. That's just in the American League. Yeah. And and then, you know, if they happen happen (laughs) to sign Ramo, all of a sudden you got a glut of guys that are all kind of the same, and that's no good either. Mm -hmm. Well, but, but. If you look at it, Ray, that's the way they've done things at all the positions, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they have numerous guys going in different directions, and you're not exactly sure. You know, I mean, you know, like you look at when books like right now, Josh Lebo would be a great case. Um, you know, Frankie Corrado's a guy who's been up. He was put on waivers, or no, he hasn't been put on waivers. Um, they put some guys on waivers, they don't put guys on waivers. It's almost just, you know, you're moving guys mm-hmm. around so much to try and confuse the issue. Uh, before we uh, before we let you go, Dave, uh, real quickly, um, Peter Holland uh, again, uh, a guy who was scratched like Frankie Corrado up in the press box, and um, you know his agent met with the Leafs and said, "Hey, you know we'd like to move on. Can, can we can we can we work out a trade or whatever?" And the trade value is what it is, and they told him uh, Lou Lamarillo, I guess, said, "Hey, don't go on this Western road trip." And now I see today that uh, Peter Holland, I see on Twitter that Peter Holland's not even on the ice. Um, both of you guys know it's common for an agent to go to a GM and say, hey, can we move my client? Can, he wants another chance. Can, can you let him go, et cetera, et cetera. But it's kind of uncommon. I'll start with you, Ray. It's kind of uncommon for the GM to be like, yeah, beat it. These things are all done behind the scenes. It's This is just Lou being a little weird, maybe? Well, I mean, no, I, I, don't, I don't know that I understand the stay-at-home part because <laughs> Holland had said that, you know, he wanted to go on the trip, but they had had this meeting. Now, this has been festering for a while. It's mm-hmm. not like he just woke up one day and said, hey, you know, right. I, you know I, I don't. I'd like a trade. Um, back in the summer, he went to arbitration or had filed for arbitration. They signed him to a one-year deal. And, I mean, my opinion is that he, Peter Holland, was insurance in case a lot of these kids just weren't ready to play because – I, I mean, maybe lots of people thought Mitch Marner was going to be as good as he is. I, I didn't. I mean, because I didn't know. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. The guy right. weighs 170 pounds. I don't know how good he can be. He's been phenomenal. Nylander got out of the chute, you know, like a rocket. You know, Hyman is going to play, and Babcock liked Sashnikov, and they've started to play better, too. And all of a sudden, there was no room for him. And... They wanted to bring in a centerman like Ben Smith to kill penalties and take faceoffs, and now there's less room for him. So I'm sure he feels like he's floundering around. And, you know, as much as we all talk about these guys like they're this abstract thing, they're, they're guys who can see their career moving along, and they're standing on the curb, and they want a chance to play. 
So I, I don't know about the stay-at-home part. I mean, it, it seemed like something would be done quickly, but that's obviously not been the case. What do you think, Dave? Well, let's go back to the, to the Enroth question because it's, I've re-cleared this in my mind now. It's 10 games or 30 days. Oh, okay. So they, they can play him in, in 10 more games or, 30, or have 30 days total before he has to re-clear waivers again. Oh, okay. So it really does give them a lot of flexibility here. Mm-hmm. And the Holland situation, once again, it, it's almost like they thought they had something almost done to leave them at home for a three-game trip. But then they're into roster spots, too. You've got your 23 roster spots, you know, and, and believe Levo was with them on the West Coast. I don't know that yep. for sure. I think he yep. was. And, but he's not cleared to play. So had they run into something on the West Coast, they could have made the transaction at that point. See, by leaving Peter at home, they could have said, okay, now we can activate put, um, Peter Holland on waivers and activate Lebo. Yeah. In midstream on the West Coast. Yeah. So it may have been just to, once again, you're always trying to create as much flexibility as you can within the framework of 23 guys. And, and this move with Enros now gives them time sort of to see what's going to happen with the goalie situation, just as the Holland move. Mm-hmm. But once again, he's one of their 23 right now, guys. So you can't eat up these 23 roster spots like they have with Frank Carrado with guys that are never going to play. <laughs> well, how long can Josh Levo tour around with them? Well, they say he's not <laughs> ready to play in the NHL, right? He went down and played five games in the American League. I don't get it. <laughs> 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 I don't get it. It's like I think you and I, yeah. I think we missed that medical class that says a guy can play in the American League, but he's not quite up to speed to play in the NHL. It's health versus this goes. Health. This goes back to Robodaw and it goes back to, to Lupul, and the, just the Leafs are just they're shady. Well, so Josh Cowan in the mix. It's just yeah. you know they're 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 within the rules, but it's it's rules that it's. So you shady. Used a lot. You're just, <laughs> is there a players association? A I think the players association is fully involved. <laughs> well, they should like because they got Josh Lebo was that he's getting paid. Yes, and he's getting meal money, but <laughs> he, it's like the, he's only. It's like he's got season tickets to the Leafs right now. <laughs> he does. It's, yes. it's pretty good seats and. <laughs> yeah. And plus, he's got he's got personal trainers and a forced workout every day, right? We take yes, he's not yeah. going to get heavy. <laughs> it's uh, he's going to stay in shape. It's yeah, great. It is. Yeah. It's it's remarkable because you know at one point you you can't keep using the twenty three roster. Like one of the, essentially the Leafs have operated virtually all year with a twenty two man roster because of Frank Corrado. Yeah, yeah. And those are valuable roster spots. Yeah. You know, but. I, I want. I just had this thought too. Back in the day, before you, or back when you could bury contracts, and there was a salary cap, sort of. We always used to laugh that the Flyers had about eighty-six million dollars on their seventy million dollar cap, because they would have a, four NHL guys play, that they they're like, no, a guy can't play. Go to go to the American League, and, and they pay him over there. Pardon me? <laughs> and Chris Pronger over there somewhere. Yeah, Pronger. Million yeah, dollars yeah, and yeah. Somebody else yeah. over there. The Rangers, to me, are the same way. Like It's like there's printing presses with some teams. Because anytime a free agent comes up, you say, well, the Rangers, well, they're a full-cap team. Yeah, but they'll be in on How? <laughs> <laughs> they do. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like they're so I, I don't know. This, more so the goaltending goal thing thing's going to get situated in the next day. Um if it is Kyrie Rommel, they've got to sign him to a contract. If it's Jeff Glass, he's on an American League deal, they've got to sign him to a contract. Or it could very easily be Jonas Enroth still. I don't know how many contracts they have. They only are allowed 50 in teams. Pooley, do teams like to keep one or two always empty? At least. At least, if not three. Okay, and so they're not going to burn up another NHL contract for a goalie if they don't think he's really an answer. Exactly. Yeah, he's got to be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be all in on Ramo. Like, we think you're the guy, you're the backup, you're in type deal, right? Don't yeah. forget, he was part of the worst goaltending duo in the NHL last year. 
They had four goalies in Calgary last year. None of them were back. Yep. But it's romantic when someone's not there and he's much better. You know that when someone's away, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even if it's the best game he ever played. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, Dave, thanks. Uh, thanks for your time on the Ray Ferraro podcast. Uh, TSN's uh, Dave Poulin. You're on Leafs Lunch uh, a lot. You're on uh, on TSN Overdrive. And uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's great listening to you. And uh, thanks for coming. Okay. Always a pleasure, guys. All right. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks, Pooley. Okay, Ray. All right, Dave Poulin, everybody. Uh, Frank Selke, winner. Um, I was going to bring up the fact, Ray, that he lost to the Oilers three times in the Cup Finals, and how that would just suck. To just it would yeah. because just think you're you're on this very good team, mm-hmm. but you have the misfortune of being a very good team when one of the best teams of all yeah. time was there. Now. Wayne wasn't there in 90, so it would have been like just Mark Messier yeah. for three times. Just the number 11 guy is just haunting me, you know? Well, just, just think of all those, you know, all, all those years where uh, Winnipeg was probably the third best team in the league. Yeah. And they couldn't get out of their own division because they had Calgary and Edmonton in front of them. Yep. You know, Dale Howarchuk was putting up monster numbers, and he never made an all-star team because Gretzky was there. <laughs> yeah. The... Uh... The one year, and me being in Winnipeg, I know this. The, the best year, the best chance they had was '85. That was probably the best team. Barry Long coached them. Unfortunately, Jamie McCowan broke uh, every rib Howard Chuck had in the in the final game of their first round series, and yeah, so they did not have Howard Chuck for for the Oilers. I don't know if that would have made a difference. Probably not, but that no, was that was a hurt. That was their best team, and, and there was no Howard Chuck for that series. So, um, all right, uh, let's keep going here. TSN's Ray Ferraro on the uh, on the show here, and uh, so let's get into first of all. Um, the Brian Burke rant, he's back, Calgary Flames' Brian Burke. Uh, <laughs> that was great. I love to see Burke come back every now and then. But on the other hand, I'm always like, come on, Burkey, stop it, right? Right. <laughs> His Dougie, Doug Hamilton rant, he wouldn't trade him for, was it 20 first-round picks? 20 first-rounders. 20 first-rounders, and then he called out another anonymous GM for starting it. And um, I love it. It's great theater. But on the other hand, I'm kind of like, geez, come on. Come on, Burke. Well, if he wouldn't trade Dougie Hamilton for 20 first rounders, he's an idiot. Right. Exactly. Like, and he's not. Right. You know, so Berkey's, Berkey's got hyperbole flowing out of him all the time, right? Like, remember when the Leafs a couple years ago, they, you know, they hit the wall. He said, no, that wasn't a, we weren't in the ditch. That was an 18 wheeler crashing yeah. over the cliff. Right. 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 So it's like, he's, he's big on the visual, yeah. the visual. So, I mean, I get why he's trying, you know, why he, came out so so strongly and it, it would suck if you're Dougie Hamilton that all of a sudden this stuff becomes you know becomes mm-hmm. public there's momentum to it um, a rumor is impossible to stop you know although I will say when Berkey came out not that it was a full stop mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty well stopped right, right now right and and you know the flames are playing a little better they just just absolutely crushed Anaheim yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And, you know, Hamilton's played much better. They're playing him on a pair with Giordano, and so they're, you know, the, he's got a more significant role, and I think that's, you know, that, that's been a good thing for him. Um, I look at Calgary, and they are heavy on defense and a little thin up front. And so, yeah, that's where the rumor starts. Right. And, you know, but, I mean, you know, Berkey stampeded in there and it's, it's great, you know, kick some chairs around <laughs> and, um, and, it, and it is great. It's entertainment. And, um, I don't, I don't believe him for a second that if the right deal came along that they wouldn't trade Dougie Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think there's very few guys in the league, half a dozen that you would never, ever trade. Yeah. 10, if, I don't know. Is there even that many? Right. I mean, it's, it's the old saying about Gretzky and, and you know. well, yeah, but so right now, you're not trading Sidney Crosby. You're not trading Austin Matthews. You're not mm-hmm. trading Patrick Laine. You're not trading Connor McDavid. You know, I mean, you, right. you might be done. You're um, not trading Carey Price. Was Berkey the GM when you got traded from the Whale? No. Okay. Uh, the right. general manager was Eddie Johnson. I was thinking maybe you were still carrying some grudges. Oh, no, no. Berkey, <laughs> I love being around Berkey. He's, uh, oh. he's really – I would say Berkey is um, – People that know him know he's mm-hmm. got a he's got a really really kind generous side, but he would be loath to show anybody that he uh, and I don't know 
if Brian Burke was a good general manager or not. He made, you know, the Pronger trade was great in Hartford, and uh, he won a cup, but he had Pronger and Niedermeyer and. And then you know he went to the Leafs, and as a Leaf fan, I was I was excited, but man, nothing worked there. I, I don't know. The jury's still out. See, I I thought when when Brian came to Toronto, I thought they were they were primed to to remake the Leafs, kind of like what they're doing now. But of course, the first move was to trade the two first round picks for Phil Kessel. Yeah, and that just moved everything into overdrive. And you know, it's it's easy to to say I would have never done that. And, I mean, I'm not a GM, but I wouldn't have done that. Right. But some moves work and some don't. And when you make a big move like that and it kind of blows up in your face, because don't forget, that second pick that went to Boston, that was... they were anticipating that was going to be way lower. Yep. And as it turned out, it was seventh. <laughs> you know, so that that trade kind of... Right. That that, that kind of that blew up in their face for sure. Um, can we stop calling Dougie? Can we stop calling Doug Hamilton Dougie? Like no, his, because that's his name. It's Dougie. That's his name. And his brother's Freddie. <laughs> I'm always like, dude, he's old. He's not Dougie anymore. That's what yeah, you call him. And his the... parents are Olympic athletes or former Olympic athletes. And okay. That's the handle on them. And okay. All right. Dougie and Freddie, it is. I did not know if that was the like the media putting that on there. We all assume his name was Dougie, but it's Dougie. Okay. Nope, that's it. All right. Uh, speaking of the Flames, uh, we talked about Brian Elliott a couple shows ago, and, and I thought, you know, he's a little more of a Hitchcock kind of made guy, and uh, he struggled. He was supposed to be the number one. He struggled. Uh, this whole run the Flames have been on has been with Chad Johnson, and you know, I watched the Leaf game, and he was good. I watched um, – who did they play on Saturday? I can't remember who it was. Um, watched a little bit of that game. Uh, oh, it was uh, Boston? Maybe? Well, they played, they played Anaheim last night. He okay. Got the, he got the win there again. Oh, you know, no, it was a Boston game I watched. A little, right. few, few, yep. He was great. This guy is, is he's big, and he's from Alberta, so I guess he's a hometown kid. And, um, I mean, if you're the coach – uh, Gullitson there, right? You just keep riding this guy, and sorry, Brian Elliott, if you're mad, right? Well, of course, yeah. because you like your job. Right, right, right. You know, like, a, it's, uh, you know, Brian Elliott uh, got out of the gate on, you know, on with just a thud, and he gave up a pile of goals in the first two games to Edmonton, and, and really never, never has gotten his feet back underneath him. Um, Chad Johnson's a pretty interesting story. A couple of years ago in Boston, he won 17 games, um, you know, as the backup to Tuka Rask. I think he was 17 and one at, uh, that year. Uh, went to Buffalo and he got kind of lost a little bit. And then mm-hmm. when Robert Le- Robin Leonard got hurt, he he was outstanding last year. He reminds me a lot in the net, um, size wise and um, even style wise of Craig Anderson. Um, you know, they're, they're tall, thin guys. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, you know, they, they've got a real calm way about them. And Johnson's been terrific. He deserves to be in the net. And so the, you know, this is the part of pro sports that's really sucks. And that's the only thing you can do if you're Elliot is just keep playing and just keep practicing. And when your turn comes, yeah. you know, that window opens up, you better be ready for it. And it's hard um, you know, Jamie McLennan, who uh, works with us at, at TSN and, um, you know, was a longtime backup goalie in the NHL, he said the toughest part is when you go in, you know, no matter how hard you've practiced or how much you've practiced, it, it's just not the same. Right. And, you know, we just saw it with Enroth the other night in, mm-hmm. uh, in Calgary. You know, by the time the game was a minute old, it was 2 nothing. It didn't really matter anymore. You know, so if you're Elliot, when that time comes, and it will, you know, where the coach is saying, hey, you're in, he, he's got to grab it, and he's got to play well because Johnson's been, been terrific. But if you're uh, Brad Treleving, the GM, or, or and some more Brad Treleving, I guess, the, the, the GM, than, than, than Gullitson, the coach, this was a big free agent signing for you. I mean, do you even try to get Elliot back upright? Do you – I mean, of course you try, but do you – like everyone's got an ego, and there's 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 plans involved. And do you do you try to get Elliot in there and try to try to make justify your signing, or is this well, just well, not not no, you can't. Okay. I mean, teams do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like people, yeah, first rounders, for example, they just play, or or a big guy who gets traded, just you you play him because you. To me, it's the wrong it's the wrong move though, right. um, especially because Johnson's playing so well. 
Yep. And so they committed $1.7 million to Johnson. I think, I think Brian Elliott's at like 2.8, yep. something like that. So they're in the, in the ballpark of $4.5 million for the goaltending position. At the end of the day, do they really do they have a favorite? No, they brought both guys in mm-hmm. um, to, to play, and they committed that total dollar amount, $4.5 million, to the goaltending position. One of you stop the puck. If both of you do, that's great. But one of you, please stop it. Yeah. And right now it's Johnson at you know 93% of the time, so he's got to play. And there'll be a time in the schedule, I don't know the Flames schedule, um, you know, but there'll be a time when they just get boxed into a whole pile of games, mm-hmm. you know, six and nine nights, and Elliott's going to play. And Johnson might stumble somewhere along the line. And, yeah. and if you're Elliott, that's when you've got to be ready, and then you try and take the net back. It's the craziest position because it's not like you get moved down to the third line. Yeah. You put a ball hat on and you sit there. Yep. And you can't and don't hope that the guy in front of you fails because there's, oh. I don't know if I believe in karma or all yeah, that yeah. stuff, but <laughs> there is a karma to that. Uh, One-year deal for Chad Johnson. So he's making himself right. some money as we speak. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, well, okay, and here's the thing, though. So say he has a month of December where he stubs his toe. Mm-hmm. Then the first two months don't matter anymore, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's going to be Elliot's net. Right, right. You know, so the, the, the pressure to play and to perform now is as is, is great as it's ever been. And, you know, the, the games and the divisions and the, and the conferences are just so tight that, as we talked about with, uh, with Dave Poole, and you don't, you don't really have a lot of patience. You're like, if you're a coach or a manager, you're like, okay, we got to make a change. Geez, yeah. that was great. He played three <laughs> unbelievable weeks, but right. we got to make a change. Yeah, see you later. Next man up type deal. Yeah. Um, we talked about Gerard Glantz firing uh, in Florida uh, last week and the way they handled it and, and thoughts on that and everything else. Uh, Elliot Friedman at Sportsnet they had a sit-down interview with Tom Rowe, the new the ex-GM, now the new coach, last week, and I found it fascinating. He basically, and I can't believe he really did it, but Tom Rowe basically said, wasn't me. I, I don't think it was great the way we fired him. I, the owner said, too bad. We had a couple conversations. Owner called me in between periods. He was really honest, maybe too honest, uh, about what happened. I've, I've not seen um, many interviews uh, conducted that way. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one thing, though, Steve, and I'm not even, not even uh, an ounce of a joke here. Mm-hmm. I gained a lot of respect for Tom Rowe yeah. in, the, in that interview because it, at no point has he come out waving his arms and saying, hey, look, we ordered Gerard a car. I mean, he did after Gerard Gallant said so. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, Gerard and he, in that interview, they, you know, Tom Rowe talks about how the the three of them, Mike Kelly, Gerard Gallant, and, and Tom Rowe, um, were talking, waiting for the car, and finally Gallant said, just I'm, get me in a cab, I'm out of here. Yeah. Logistically, they dropped the ball. Like, as I, I think I said last week, that the second they decided to fire um, Gerard Gallant, which was in the, in the second period of that game, right. their team services guy sitting next to Tom Rowe should have been working on a car, a hotel, and a flight. Yep. And, and I book flights online in 10 minutes, right? Everybody, yep. Yep. everybody yep. can do it. Yep. You're the team services guy. That's your job, right? And so he either didn't get clear enough instructions or wasn't sure what to do because it was such an odd situation, but that should have been taken care of. Um, the fact, though, that, that Tom Rowe came out and said that you know, the owner said, no, we're not waiting anymore. Make the change now. Mm-hmm. Why that's dangerous is because unless you were going to a group that everybody knows the last decision is with the owner, this is going to be really difficult because the, the confrontations are inevitable yep. between usages of players, mm-hmm. uh, players up and down, uh, you know, to the American League, to the NHL, trades that might be made. You hire somebody when you're the owner. This is the way I. You hire them. You've made your billions of dollars in the business world, and you don't do everything. You 
You make decisions. You put people in place to run different parts of your company, and they run it. Mm -hmm. But you can't be everywhere. The problem with a sports team is the owner, because they get such a Jones out of it, they think, some of them, that they need to run the team. Mm -hmm. Yet in their business, where they made their money, (laughs) they don't. They have their managers do it. So I'm not saying that uh, Vinny Viola should sit there um, like a bump on the log and just watch the, yeah, the watch team the, sail watch by. Watch the losses pile up, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. of course not. I mean, it's his team. It's his money. He should be involved. But you've got to let your people do the job. And if you don't, you're going to have a tough time getting really quality people. You'll get different people who right. might see things your way or people that don't mind being told what to do. But that has not worked yet, and we'll see if it ever works. Vinny Viola, Viola is a great name, by the way. It's it a sure fantastic is. handle. Yeah. Um, if I'm Vinny Viola, I'm pissed at Tom Rowe. I'm like, really, guy? Really? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, like you I said, don't know. Yeah. It just seemed, seemed really honest. I'm with you. I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. Um, speaking of owners, uh, Jonathan Ledecky is the new majority owner of the New York Islanders. And uh, there was a New York, uh, was it the Post or I forget what, what yeah. newspaper story. There's a New York oh, Post. Newsday, Arthur oh, Staple. Newsday, yeah, uh, Arthur Staple Newsday story about him reaching out, uh, trying to hire a significant big name to run the Islander organization. It's been floundering a little bit. I don't know if the move to Brooklyn has worked. Um, don't know what this means about Garth Snow, although I would think Garth's time is probably coming up. Um, He's meeting with people. He's doing everything else. I guess as a former Islander, first of all, Ray, how pissed were you that Kelly Rudy said that Ledecky had reached out to him? Has Ledecky called you? No. You, you, I don't, I, you can call Kelly if you want. You assisted fine. on Volek's goal, the only highlight of the franchise's last. Yeah, no, no, I have not. Uh, I've not spoken to, okay. to Mr. Ledecky. Well, if he's um, going to call Rudy, he should call you. Anyways. I, uh, I do think that there is um, – in the way that sports has gone in the NHL, well, not sports, the way the NHL has gone, mm-hmm. there is a need for a president to be different than the general manager. Yep. I think it's really difficult to do everything yourself now. And, you know, for, I don't know, however many years it's been, um, Garth Snow has done pretty much most of the management stuff in a very small group. So I would, I'm not surprised that they want to have somebody else as kind of the yeah. overseer. Yep. Um, and that also was a layer between management and ownership, which is, which is very important. Now, they've got a lot of things on their plate. You mentioned the, the move to Brooklyn has not I don't been think what they thought worked, it was right? going to be. It basically yeah. was a cash infusion for, for Charles Wong, that you know, the, the Barclays people yep. were going to pay them a set amount of money and they don't get anything else. That's it. You can't earn more revenues. You can't, you know, so it's... Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a cash infusion more than anything else, and the the new owners want to want to do it differently. But they're in a lease, and they got to figure that out. And um, I'm not surprised they're talking to to a great many people to you know to to try and get some ideas and try and figure out where they where they should head with this. Remember, Lafontaine and Neil Smith were there for about. A month. 40 days. Yeah, exactly. It was literally 40 days. <laughs> Ted Nolan was the coach, and um, that was that, that turned into a three-ring circus. <laughs> you know, um, like, literally, I mean, when it lasted 40 days and blew up, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, how, how, how is this? But, I, you know, they've got, so they've got the arena that they've got to figure out. Well, can they're they? Trying, they're new transition to new owners. And John Tavares is a free agent next July. Yes. Not this coming July, one more July. Yeah, one and a half years, yeah. And if, 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 I'm, if I'm the owner, priority one is figuring out the arena. This is what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, what do you do? What do priority you do? two is not only do I have to get Tavares signed, I've got to get some guys for him to play with. <laughs> because it looked like, you know, Andrew Ladd is, a, is more of a – not top, well, I don't know. I don't want to call him a depth player. That's not right either. He's better than a depth player, but he's not a top line goal scorer. And so they say they signed him for $42 million for seven years. You know, they, they've got to find a way what they, what they need to do more than anything is find people for Tavares to help create offense with. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, I, I know he's, 
very proud of his legacy, but if they don't have people for him to play with, I would think they're in a real challenge next July. Yeah, he's coming back home. He's coming home. No, I don't know about that. I think there would be a line as long as your arm that would be interested in him. You um, know, I mean, like, can you go back to the? I know they got renovated, but can can't you go back to the Coliseum? There, no, you because can't? they oh, okay. they renovated it to about eleven thousand seats. Oh, I okay, all right. So and so they can't go back there. They, you know, they're talking about a new site out by um, Shea Stadium. But yeah, saw man, that. Who's a four hundred and fifty million dollars? And I'm pretty sure this isn't the time to be asking for yeah. money from the from the public. Right. Like if I'm the if I'm a mayor. Now I'm like, forget it, scram. Maybe you know we got enough problems. Maybe Trump can build it. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's a it's a franchise that you know needs some help for sure. Absolutely, yeah. The the Andrew Ladd, but the Andrew Ladd thing. I mean, I mean, I watch a lot of Jet games just because you know I'm from there, and, and I mean he he's a grinder who kind of maxed out his, in my opinion, his talent level. And to sign him to that deal, like I think the Jets were smart to be like, "Hey, you're older, you're kind of over, and and you know you're maxed out your deal." He was never going to well, be a finisher. Remember, they had you know? to decide between him and Bufflin, yeah. basically. Yep. And they chose Bufflin, which was the right choice because he's one of the most unique players in the game. Him and Brent Burns might be the two most unique players, yeah, in the NHL. But you I know, mean. To, to get around at their size and to do what they can do. So, you know, and Andrew had some excellent years, but they had Kyle Oposo. Like yeah. Dave Poulin was talking about, there's a romanticism about players that are um, you somewhere don't else. Yeah. yeah, They already had Kyle Oposo. Like, why not just sign him? Well, we talked about that a few shows ago. There yeah. must have been something where he said, I don't like it here, because they never even That's tried. Fair. You know? Right. Uh, well, I would hope so. Yeah, because I, yeah, I would hope so because he's a good player. He's yeah. not, you know, he's not a guy that drives a line himself. Mm-hmm. But him and Tavares really, really fit well together. John Tavares is a he reminded me of incredible player. Yeah, he reminded me of Matt Molson a little bit, kind of like a new Matt Molson, like a guy that could you know finish things he off. Just fit. Yeah, he yeah. just fit. Um, yeah, interesting to see what, what happens, where they go, and everything else from there. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, uh, well, let's touch on uh, Sidney Crosby. Uh, he has 16 goals in 19 games. He, he's shooting, his shooting percentage is crazy. He's been shooting more and more. Um, is this a concentrated effort by him to score? I mean, we've always known he's had it in him, but what's going on with him? Oh, I, I think it is. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the thought of scoring more, is something that is uh, that's in the forefront of his mind, and the reason I say that is, if you look at a chart where all his shots are, yeah, they're very close to the net. Um, in the past, you know, you'd, you'd see more often that he would, you know, fly down the wing, maybe pull up, look for somebody late. Yep. Maybe the the focus is, I'm the scorer here, and the other guys are the playmakers. You know, because for years he always pushed the line and the guys that he played with, whether it was Kunitz and Dupuy and, you know, then it became Patrick Hornquist. Um, you know, it always seemed like, you know, they, yeah, that Sid wasn't the, the, you know, Kunitz was the goal scorer and Sid wasn't the main goal scorer on that line. He drove it every other way, but now it seems like he gets the puck and he's thinking as though he's the first option that he's the yeah. shooting option. And it's, I mean, it's shooting percentage will fall. I mean, nobody shoots at 25% anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, but he's, it's just an amazing start. And it's really, really good for the league when the best players are the most, uh, are the most noteworthy. They're the ones that are up near the top of the charts. It's, it's excellent for the league. Yeah, it uh, it is. It's exciting to watch. Yeah, it's great, you know, to have him shooting and scoring and everything else. It's it, I didn't really know he had it in him, to be honest. I mean, I guess has he ever got fifty? He's never got fifty, but uh, yeah, I think he has. I Did think he? he's got one. Did he get one? Okay, but um, I always look at him like exactly what you said. Get the puck in the corner or go down the ice, check up, have a sweet backhand pass to somebody in the slot, and that's that's Sidney Crosby to me. Yeah, you know? and then the other, and then of course the other story along goal scoring is Patrick Liney. He's got sixteen. Yeah. Goals. Yeah. What an amazing start. And for, you know, 
I, I mean, there's some talk, you know, when, when he was so hot and Matthews went through that month of, you know, oh, gee, they couldn't score. And yeah. you know, would Toronto flip the picks? Matthews has 11 goals. Yep. You know, like he's – these are two just phenomenal players. Absolutely. I, I think uh, – I know all of you guys are talking about Mitch Marner. And, you know, the, the, I listen to a lot of the Toronto radio. And Mitch Marner, this and Mitch – because Mitch has cooled off a little bit, but he was on a roll. I still – Matthews is still – hands down the better player when you watch he gets chances every game he goes both ends of the ice he's in the corners he creates opportunities Marner's I'm awesome but to me I'm just like Matthews is great like he's everything that as a Leaf fan that I would want like whether he's well there was there was a lot of people that felt had Matthews been born three days earlier uh, and been in the Connor McDavid draft that he would have been drafted in front of Eichel Right, but he was he was yeah. a couple of days too young, and so he became the first pick of of the next year. Oh, Ray, I just got an email that popped up in, uh, as a season ticket holder of the Vegas Golden Knights that I am. They are showing that movie that did not work at the intro um, next week, oh, two nights. Okay, good. I have to watch it. <laughs> I hope they got it working. <laughs> Better it, late than never. What if it doesn't work again? <laughs> um, all right, hey, let's uh, answer some emails, and then also too, uh, I, had, I had a segment idea. Uh, Raise random thoughts. I want to pick up a, a ran, I want to pick out a random player that you played against, either on your team or against in your era, eighteen years in the NHL, and, and um, I just want you to tell me, like you know, any run-ins, any stories, anything you remember from these guys. And uh, I thought I would just pick up a different player every week, and I did this in some of my motocross podcasts, and people seem to like it. So, uh, well, I'll give you. I'll, do you want to do that right now? Because I got a guy for you. Yeah, yeah. Give me a guy. Okay, Kevin Deneen. Okay. Um, Former Kevin teammate. Kevin yep. is uh, played seven years with him in Hartford. We started in the minors in Binghamton together. Um, he's the assistant coach in Chicago now with Joel Quenville. He was the head coach in Florida uh, when they won the division uh, some time back. Um, just a, an, a, an amazing guy. Just awesome. Hilarious without trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a Tasmanian devil on the ice. He fought. He was left-handed. Scored 40 goals a couple of times. Like, he... He could play, yep. but he was also among among the most absent-minded guys that you you could even possibly believe. Like twice twice a year, he'd go out for warm up, and his jersey would be on backwards. <laughs> have Deneen in the front and Come the Oilers in the back. Oh yeah, and we'd laugh, and nobody would say anything. He'd yeah. be like, "Oh man." Oh. <laughs> One time we're in Toronto, and it was quite a long walk to Maple Leaf Gardens to get on the ice. You had to go through the Zamboni entrance, mm-hmm. and as we're getting up. To where you turned right, Kevin was walking back the other way, and he'd forgotten his stick. And he was just walking <laughs> up to the rink, and I guess it occurred to him he wasn't carrying anything. <laughs> it wasn't. And he uh... turned around. And he's like, "Oh man, I gotta get my stick." <laughs> like there, but he came by this honestly because his dad, the great Bill Deneen, mm-hmm. won a just a fabulous coach for decades, both in the World Hockey League, the NHL, and then the, all through the minor league. Yep. When, when computers were first coming in, um, uh, the Flyers uh, got all their coaches and management computers, and they had a computer, an IT guy, come in and, and uh, teach them um, you know, how to use the computer. So all the scouting yep. reports, instead yep. of being mailed in, they would all get... Right. You know, which seems now, you mean like, geez, it's like that's a thing? Because, of course, nobody knew how to use it. Yeah. So Bill went out, finished the class or the course, whatever, and walked out to his car, put his computer on the roof, <laughs> got in and drove away. <laughs> drove off. <laughs> computer bounced around in the parking lot. Oops. Yeah, oops. Um, that's the Deneens. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's amazing that Kevin... That Kevin became a head coach because you, to be a coach, you got to be so thorough, you got to be so on it, you got to be so organized. He must have figured but that's it out. That's the thing. He is. Yeah. Except he's got this other side of him that <laughs> right. you you got to follow him around in case the, I don't know he the, forgets a shoe or something. The Francis Deneen Turgeon line was good. They were. Um, they were good. You know, Sly, Sly Turgeon, Pierre's older brother, yep. was. Uh, you know, things didn't quite work out for him the way they should have. Uh, but he was a goal scorer. Man, yeah. he could shoot the puck. Kevin and Kevin and Ronnie played together almost all the time, and they were just they were like hand and glove. Ronnie was so silk, so smooth, and yeah. Kevin was like a rasp. You know, like yeah. he was just like pissing um, everybody off. And 
Um, he skated so hard. He was so physical. He played so much bigger um, than his size. He was he was a tough guy. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, people say, and I've read this, Sly Turgeon was probably more talented than Pierre, but for whatever reasons, never could put it together like Pierre. Yeah, it never it never quite know. fit. But he was Pierre was more of a passer. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I played with him with the Islanders and just um, you know yep. just. I think he had 500 goals, though, so it's not yeah. like he couldn't play. Yeah, yeah. But he was such a terrific passer, and Sly was a shooter. Dale Hunter didn't like his goal celebrations, that's for sure. Uh, apparently not. <laughs> Cost right. him 21. All right, two emails to end up the show. Uh, Paul Pocky Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher and all that. First up from Brady. Ray, since you were nicknamed the Big Ball of Hate, which I don't really like that nickname, Ray, because that was your name, but it's just a ripoff of Verbeek's Little Ball of Hate. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, Pat and I played together, and Pat was way more grumpy. Wasn't even close. Right, so... uh, Not even close. Brady says, since you were nicknamed the Big Ball of Hate, who were some of the other meanest players during your career? Like, who was... Oh, but see, this means I was. I think mine was more like just my personality because right. I was a grump. Yep. Like mean guys. Oh my gosh! Like Dale Hunter. Yeah. Alfie Samuelson. Um, Thomas like, Sandstrom. Like you just said McCrimmon. He would just spear you. Just Brad. Brad right. McCrimmon. Uh, like you could go team to team, and you know, like there were. Yeah. Chris Chelios was vicious. Right. He was a, he was a rotten guy to play against. He was so, he, he was so tough. Yeah. Like, you know, so like you could go, I would say those guys like just off the top of my head without even trying. Yeah. Like it came, excuse me, came to those guys, um, in a, in a second. Right. Um, all right. Next email from chase. Uh, the question is, do you like Ray? Do you like what the Hextall is doing with the flyers? And what, in your opinion, do you think they need to get over the hump and go far in the playoffs, uh, I would say a goalie. But what do you think, Ray? Well, there I do like what Ron Hextall's doing, which is they're basically transforming the team into younger and faster. So they're doing it on the fly. They've got two 19-year-olds in the lineup, and Ivan Provorov and Travis Konechny. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them first-round picks from 2015. I mean, that is that's crazy to have them play such significant roles already. Um, they've got a, a really good group of young defensemen. Um, I'm with you. I'm not so sold on, on Steve Mason, although he's playing really well right now. Yep. Uh, both he and Michael Neuwirth are without contracts at the end of the year, so they'll have a decision to make in goal. Um, they, they seem to be – they score a lot of goals, but they seem to be um, a team that would, would like to – like to add a forward mm-hmm. if they could. You know, like their, their bottom two lines, they rely pretty heavily on their top two lines. Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of teams yeah. do, but I think, they'd like, I think they'd like a little more balance there. And uh, I think Hexy, yeah, he learned in L.A. under Dean Lombardi and everything else, and, and uh, I, all, I like all this stuff he's done. Like, generally speaking, you know, you know, you talked about that Brian Burke, you know, big trade with, with Phil that kind of blew up in his face. And, and he's G, almost every GM's got something that they don't really like. I can't think of a Hextall move where I'm like, you know? Well, um, I've, I've known Hexy for over 30 years. We played junior together in Brandon. And um, he's very methodical, very thoughtful about everything he's, mm-hmm. he's going to do. You know, you mentioned him being in L.A. and working alongside uh, Dean Lombardi. And I, I just I don't see anything rash in what in what the Flyers will do under Hextel. Yeah, everything will be kind of well thought out. And I mean, even his coaching selection, I'd never heard of of the coach. Yeah, Dave Hextel is the, like, huh? the college guy, yeah. and Ron knew him actually because his son played at North Dakota for him, and that's where he first got introduced to him. And um, so while everybody was kicking around some other names, uh, you know, yeah. out of left field comes Dave Haxtell, and that should tell you that um, Ron Hextall will do things the way he thinks is right and not be swayed by what maybe the public yeah. perception is. Um, last question. Um, do you think the Blackhawks can survive without Crawford? He's out for two to three weeks. Scott Darling's in. Uh, two weeks, sure. Three weeks, yeah. yes. No, no I, th- I, think they'll, I think their whole year will be – uh, a bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. We'll have some ups and downs to it as they acclimatize more and more of these younger players. But you take the number one goaltender away, and of course they're going to miss him. And number one center, Jonathan Taze, is out right. Yeah, he's yeah. he'll be. I, I, apparently he'll be back quick. But um, you know Crawford's going to be out for, I guess, until yeah. the new year for sure. Did you see the end of the Jets game last night? 
Jets took a penalty and uh, they pulled Darling, and it was a, a six on four for about oh, two minutes. Yeah, no, I did not. I oh. didn't see. That. I was watching the Calgary uh, yeah, yeah. fiasco and then the Edmonton game as well. It was six on four for about two two and a half minutes, and it was just a shooting gallery. It, they got Jets got it done though. They got it done. Yeah. So. They got a good goaltender. I I like Connor Hellebuck. I think he's. Um, I think they've got a real deal there. Well, awesome. Hey, uh, Ray, thanks uh, Thanks for doing this again. Thanks to Dave Poulin from TSN for coming on. And, uh, Ray, where are you at this week? What, what games you calling? I'm actually going to uh, – I'm on an Ottawa road trip this week. So uh, in San Jose Wednesday, in L.A. Saturday, in Anaheim Sunday, and then uh, back to Toronto on Tuesday, which will be my last NHL game until the new year as mm-hmm. uh, I jump into the World Junior Championship mode. Right. All right. Well, great, man. Uh, Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And again, subscribe on iTunes, get it on Stitcher and all that. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Check it out and tell your friends. All right. Thanks. See you. Yep. Later.